Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. God's Word will always be the same. Thank God. It's something we can depend on. We can taste it and see that the Word of God is good. John 16, 13, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before Your presence to study Your Word together, inviting Your Spirit to lead us, to teach us, and to guide us into all the truth. We thank You for ears to hear and hearts to receive and minds that are open to the Word of God, and we believe to be changed from glory into glory by Your Spirit and quickened according unto Your Word. I thank You for utterance in the Holy Ghost and for making my tongue as a pen of a ready writer to proclaim with boldness and accuracy this knowledge of the truth that will indeed make us free. And Father, we'll give You all the glory and honor for all that's achieved and accomplished among us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God Almighty. How many of you believe that we're living in the last times? How many of you believe that Jesus is coming soon? Well, someone says, well, how soon? Well, they've been saying that for a long time. We just know we're living in the last days. These are the end times, and Jesus is coming soon, right? And we're supposed to occupy until He comes. Continue doing what we're supposed to be doing until Jesus comes. But we do have to remind ourselves that He is coming soon. Why? Because sometimes people are just not alert, and they're not looking up, knowing that their redemption draweth nigh, because they may have been caught up in all kinds of different things, being busy with their lives and all that, and just not, are not conscious enough of the fact that Jesus is going to come soon and that we should be prepared at all times for His coming. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Live prepared. He could come tonight. We don't know. He could come tomorrow morning. We don't know. know, Every day that goes by, you have to realize this. When He does come, there's not a whole lot of time for anybody to get things back in order, is there? It's because He's going to come in the twinkling of an eye. He can't even get back home and clean up the house. Isn't that true? Someone says, oh, I've got all this work to do. Well, this may be it, man. We're out of here. We're gone. Boom. Twinkling of an eye, we're gone. Let alone clean up our act. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. And so we have to be aware of the fact that our redemption is drawing nigh. And you can look at it this way also. If He doesn't come in our generation, or that is our lifetime, our lifespan, then we're going to go meet Him. So any way you look at it, the time is still getting shorter. Isn't that true? That's absolutely a fact. And we should be making spiritual progress, should we not? Every single one of us should be heading in a proper direction. Well, if we believe all this to be true, then it's time, I believe, that every one of us should be in full dedication and consecration to do the will of God, to be what God wants us to be, to live as He wants us to live, to serve Him with our lives. To give Him our complete devotion and commitment. Amen? Isn't that what He's looking for from us? He's not asking us to be someone that we can't be. Or something that we can't be. He's asking us just to be ourselves. But to live for Him. And everything that we have and all that we possess, let it be dedicated unto Him. To the advancement of His kingdom. To promote His will here upon this earth. That's all He's looking for. 
He's not asking us to manifest some kind of a talent that we don't possess, is He? He's just saying, look, I made you the way you are. I've imparted to you talents and abilities that I want you to use for my honor and for my glory. All I'm looking for is a full dedication of who you are and what you have to me and to the advancement of my kingdom. And when you look at it like that, that's pretty simple, isn't it? And really, it's pretty easy. I mean, you can do what you do, but do it for the Lord. Right? For example, someone has the ability to sing. And so they go off and they sing in the world. All they've got to do is just say, hey, wait a minute, what am I doing with my talent? I'm entertaining people in the world. I can dedicate that to the Lord. I can use that ability to serve God, to advance His kingdom, to inspire men and women in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. And so all he's got to do is still use the same talent, but only for the Lord. And whatever it is that you may do in life, you can do it either unto the Lord or not unto the Lord. And what he's saying is he wants us to dedicate, fully dedicate ourselves and consecrate our lives to do His will. To be what He wants us to be, not to be what we want to be. It's also a time, beloved, for us to, to really be sincere when it comes to seeking guidance from the Spirit of God. You know, too often we want others to tell us what we should be doing for God. And too often, you know, many will go from meeting to meeting and place to place trying to find someone to tell them what they should be doing for God. When in actuality, if you're a born-again, Spirit-filled believer, you have access to the mighty Holy Spirit whose ministry it is to instruct us in the things of God, to guide us in the things of God, and to reveal to us what God would have us to do with our lives. Look at John 16, 13. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, that is the Spirit of reality, He will guide you into all truth. Say this with me. The Spirit of reality is my guide into all truth. Isn't that wonderful to know? He is right here in us. He is right here for us, among us, and with us to guide us into all the truth. And if we want to know the truth, then we can look to the Spirit of truth, and He will become our God. But also it says, He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. So that means this. He will listen to what the Father has to say with regard to our lives. And He'll repeat that to us. He'll reveal that to us. He'll talk to us about what it is the Father would have us to do. You know, you can say, well, now, you know, Lord, I was at this meeting and I heard someone say they did this with their lives and someone said they did that with their lives, but I want to know what you would have me to do. And so I'm looking to your mighty Holy Spirit to speak to me. You said in your word that He would speak. You said in your word that He would show me things to come. And so I'm looking to Him. And you know, he'll, he'll oblige you. He will definitely be there to begin speaking to you what He hears from the Father. Now, I'd rather hear from the Father than anybody else. Amen. What about you? Amen. I'd rather know what He would have me to do than anybody else. What about you? Amen. You can listen to so many voices out there in the world and be misguided and misdirected and get off on all kinds of tangents that may seem to be good for God but not exactly what God would have you to do. See, He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our abilities, our capabilities. He knows what we could possibly do for Him to advance His kingdom. He knows where we are needed in the body of Christ. Isn't that true? And you see, the, the average person out there doesn't know all that, unless, of course, we sought the Lord and God saw fit to reveal it to us. But that's not likely to always happen, is it? 
See, He gave us His Spirit so that we can have a personal guide. Isn't that wonderful to know? When you go on a tour, you like to have a personal guide to explain all things to you and reveal all things to you and tell you about whatever you're seeing and all that. Well, we have a guide through life. The Spirit of God is right here on the inside of us to speak to us what He hears of the Father. And we should develop an intimate, close relationship with Him so we can be used to His voice, to know that witness of the Spirit, how He reveals to us and speaks to us what He hears of the Father. And you know, there's something about it when you know it came straight from the Father's throne, isn't there? It's just a, a wonderful thought to know that God spoke, and by His Spirit, He is revealing to me that this is what He would have me to do. It'll make your day, won't it? It'll set you on the right path for your life, won't it? And no matter who says what, praise God, you will know you're doing what the Father wants you to do. And that's satisfaction, isn't it? That's a cause for rejoicing, isn't it? No matter what anybody else says, I know, in other words, that what I'm doing, God, my Father, is pleased with. And unless I hear something else, I'm just going to continue on doing the same thing that He told me to do. Isn't that good to know? Now, I know the enemy will try to push you out of that, and sometimes people will, you know, be a part of that and try to push you out of that. But when you know the Father spoke, you stick to it. You stick to it. You hold on and hold fast to what God has spoken, and He will bring things to pass. He'll see to it that you're a success. Why? Because He is ordering the steps of your life. He is leading you and directing you and guiding you. It's time that we realize that Jesus is coming soon. Let's all focus in on what the Father would have us to do. Let's be mature, in other words, spiritually, enough to look to Him for guidance and direction. Let's thank God for all those servants of the Lord that are out there being used of the Lord, and that's wonderful to know. And sometimes along life's path, they will be there to help us by the things that they say inspired by the Holy Ghost. But most importantly, beloved, we need to know that we hear from God personally, don't we? that we hear His voice and the voice of His Spirit because ultimately we're going to be in positions and places where that's all that's going to matter. You've heard His voice. So, the last thing He says He'll show us is future events. Future things that are going to take place. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to look beyond the now, isn't it? Because we see things the way they are and it's apparent to us that it'll be a miracle for things to change. But, you know, if we're just serious enough with the things of God and in the things of God, I believe that the Spirit of God will play that role in our lives. He'll come along and begin to show us certain things that are going to happen, certain things that will come to pass if we're only sincere enough before God to seek those things. Seek, and ye shall what? Find. See, we need to say sometimes to the Father, Father, you said in your word that your Spirit will reveal things. Now, the way it looks right now, Father, I don't know that I should go in that direction. So show me some things. How will things work out in the end? His Spirit will be there to reveal certain, certain things, enough of the truth to our hearts as a witness to our spirits. We may not know the exact way it's going to work out, but on the inside you'll have a piece of God that says, you know, this thing's going to go. Or it may not look like it, but this thing is going to happen. It is going to work out for God because I know it inside my spirit. How do you know that? It's the witness of the Spirit. How can you be so sure? Because they are, that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And the witness of the Spirit that tells me I'm born again, child of God, is the same witness of the Spirit that tells me it's going to work out. And you know, you can rest on that. You can bank on that. 
You can trust the Lord with all your heart. That is, you can trust that witness inside your spirit. It's coming from the Spirit of God. And you don't have to lean on your own understanding. And if you'll acknowledge Him in that way, He will what? Direct your path. Praise God. And we'll be walking in the light of revelation that's in our spirit, not according to human reasonings or sense knowledge. So let's remember that. Jesus is coming soon. Let's get on that rag path. And let's be prepared to do a work for God that He would have us to do in our lives and through our lives. Well, you know, beloved, once then we discover God's specific and general will for our lives, then we must learn how to promote our own success and also to deal with the hindrances that try to get us off the right path. Have you noticed since you've become a Christian, you got on that path of life, that there are many obstacles in your way? that there are many hindrances in your way trying to prevent your success, trying to keep you out of the will of God. You say, why? Because you see, beloved, if the enemy can keep you out of the will of God, he could put a wrench in things when it comes to God's will being accomplished. He can slow down the process. And you know as well as I do, his end is at hand. He doesn't like the end that's before him. He doesn't want to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. And so he would like to slow down that process for himself and then take as many as he possibly could with him. Isn't that what he wants to do? But we don't want that to happen. We want to get involved in the will of God generally and specifically so that we can expedite matters. We want to wrap things up down here on earth, don't we? We want to be the, the church that God wants us to be triumphant and victorious. Isn't that true? So that we can wrap things up, bring Jesus back and get on with eternity. Amen. Get on the other side in glory as we fulfill His will for our lives here upon this earth. And that's the attitude we should all maintain. Well, as I said, the enemy will try to hinder us and prevent us from living a successful, obedient Christian life. Look at the book of Galatians, chapter 5 and verse 7. We're wise enough to know that we have an enemy out there who wants to get us off course. Well, even though that may be true, we do not have to give in and be defeated. In chapter 5 of Galatians, in verse 7, it says, You did run well. You know, maybe that would apply to many of our lives. There was a time we were running well. I remember one time watching the Olympics. A particular lady, woman from the United States, was favored to win a particular event. It was a long-distance race. And I mean, she was just out there pacing herself perfectly and beautifully. And it looked like this is it. She is going to win the gold medal for the USA. Well, sadly, along the way, somebody tripped her up. She fell flat on her face and she injured herself and she never did finish that race. She was running well. She was pacing herself perfectly. But as a result of an accident, it was not intentional. She was out of the race and she failed to finish that race. Well, when it comes to our race that we're running, and you notice that Paul always talked always talked about running races and fighting fights and all that. seemed like he was very athletic-minded. When it comes to our race that we're running, we have enemies that are out there purposely trying to get us off course. And at one time, you may have been running well as a Christian, following the plan that God has for your life. I mean, really dedicated and really consecrated and really sold out to God and doing everything with spiritual enthusiasm from the heart. But because of certain things along the way, certain obstacles, certain hindrances, you see, designed by the enemy, 
maybe all of a sudden we find ourselves off course. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not still a child of God and you love God, but it just means you're somewhat off course. You're hindered from obeying the truth from the heart like, you know, we should be. And that can happen to anybody. Look at the latter part of the verse. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? See, it's one thing to find the truth. It's another thing to obey the truth. Isn't that true? See, if the enemy can, he will prevent us from knowing the truth that makes us free, won't he? From knowing the truth of God for our individual lives, whether it be in a general sense or a specific sense. That's what he'll do. But if he can't prevent that from happening, he'll take the next shot, which is what? To get us off course through distractions so that we don't obey the truth like we should. How many of you know that it's one thing to know it, it's another thing to walk in the light of it? Once you get a hold of it, the next thing to do is to do it, to be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. See, we can know about the love walk, but to obey it is another thing. Isn't that true? We can know what God wants us to do with our lives, but to actually do it is another thing. Now, if we didn't have any obstacles, if we didn't have any hindrances, it would be an easy thing to do, wouldn't it? But that's not the case. And we all have to realize that. We are all going to face obstacles and hindrances and we need to know how to deal with them and we need to know how to promote our own success when it comes to carrying out the purpose of God for our lives or experiencing the blessings of God for our lives. And so I'd like to share a little bit along this line. Turn with me, if you would, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. How can we better promote our own success in carrying out the plan and purpose that God has for us? How can we also overcome the obstacles and the hindrances that come against us to prevent us from being successful and leading obedient Christian lives? How can we promote our own growth in grace? Well, first of all, I believe that we all need to take inventory and determine whether or not we're as serious about the things of God as we should be. In other words, it's easy when you first become that born-again child of God to really be involved in certain things because you're so new and it's so fresh. But as time goes on, you will find that it's easier for one to regress than it is to make progress because it's easy for things to become stagnant with our Christian experience. So the first thing we should do, I really believe, is to ask ourselves the question, are we as serious and as reverent as we once were in the things of God? Are we as serious today as we once were, all of us, in the things of God? The first thing should be the study of God's Word. Are we that serious student of the Word of God as we once were, or I once was? Ask yourself that question. Is, am, am I as serious? Because, you see, in order to promote our progress and our obedience to the things of God, we have got to be actively involved in the study of God's Word. God's Word has got to be a priority in all of our lives. Here, Paul tells Timothy, study in verse 15, 2 Timothy 2:15, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Every single one of us for ourselves should study the Word of God. Seriously study the Word of God. 
recognizing and realizing that this is the Word of Life and this is God's program and it outlines God's map, so to speak, for my life. Am I as serious as I once was? Am I that serious student of the Word of God as I once was? You say, but you don't understand. I go to church and I can hear the Word being preached and that blesses my soul. Well, that's wonderful and you should. But, what about being that student of the Word of God for yourself? Because isn't that how God primarily speaks to all of us? So you see, beloved, in order for us to prevent being hindered, we must stay serious when it comes to studying the Word of God. And we must continue to revere the Word of God as we once did, maybe after we first got saved for the first so many years. Be a serious student of the Word of God because the Word of God is what ultimately is going to change us in life. Affect us in such a way that we'll continue to make spiritual progress. Jesus said, if you continue in my Word, and that's in a continuous sense. In other words, you stay with it always. Don't regress when it comes to being an ardent student of the Word of God. Study the Word of God for yourself. To show yourself approved unto man. Come on. Approved unto who? Not man. Unto God. We're not studying to show ourselves approved unto anybody but God Himself. Do you see that? I want to be approved of God, don't you? And so we study it realizing that the one who I'm to be approved of is God Himself. And so the Father sees that we still are in love with His Word. Amen. And secondly, what about this? Remember, Jesus is coming soon. We want to occupy till He comes. And we want to be involved in doing those things that will promote our success and the success of the kingdom of God upon this earth. We want to be actively engaged in doing the will of God for our lives. Secondly, what about prayer? We can promote our growth and progress by being more serious with regard to prayer. Prayer is so vitally important to our own spiritual growth and development. It is so essential to our lives, we cannot take it lightly. We must be serious when it comes to establishing ourselves in a productive prayer life. We have the Word of God, and also we have the ability to approach the Father in a real way, to hear His voice, to talk things over with Him, to know Him better, to know Him more intimately, and to listen to what He has to say to us in life. And so you see, if you find yourself, or if I find myself lacking in that area of being as serious as I once was in prayer, can you see how we're being hindered and we have somewhat got off track or off the course? See, we have got to go back and begin once again praying like we once did. And taking prayer as serious as we once did. Sometimes we can get to a place where we think, well, you know, I've prayed a lot in my life. That's wonderful, but all that's in the past. What about today? What about tomorrow? We must be serious when it comes to prayer. And beloved, if I may share to you from the pastor's perspective, may I do this this, this morning without anybody throwing any stones or anything like that? I must say that I am somewhat disappointed in our Sunday night services. Ever since we've turned it over to a prayer service, I have noticed that our attendance has declined. And you know that has just pierced my heart. 
I say that in a loving way. But if it pierces my heart, can you imagine what it does to the heart of the Father? You say, well, why did you do that? We want to hear the Word. You know, I did that because there has to be balance in the Christian experience. There has to be balance in the Christian life, doesn't there? And you may not think, or people may not think, that this is doing any good at all. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If you're involved in it with your whole heart, it does a world of good. It's been my longing desire as a pastor to promote prayer in our, in our church. We've tried it before services. We've tried it after services. We've tried it on different days of the week and all that. And all we would get is just a handful of, uh, full of people. And so finally I said, this is it. What we're going to do is have a Sunday night service dedicated to prayer. And the people of God are going to get a hold of this. And they're going to see how important and how valuable it is to pray. You know, and we want our faith to be strong and robust, don't we? And we want to have that direction for our lives. And we want our families to be whole and well, don't we? Absolutely. We know prayer is a vital part of it. And what better way than to get together and pray then to take that Sunday night service and say, we're going to pray as a family of believers. Now, I know there may be a lot of reasons why, you know, people were unable to attend. But I'm just saying, if you're out there and there really is not a good reason, maybe it's because I want to hear the word or whatever, I want you to get excited right now about prayer. I want you to have enthusiasm inside your heart and recognize that if you really want the word to be alive in you, There's a need to pray corporately and collectively as a body of believers. I believe there is a covering for us. And if you've been a part of our prayer services, you'll know we have done things and touched things in the realm of the Spirit that have been a blessing to people in this body. There's no question about it. And it does my heart good to know that those things are happening in the Spirit world. We're making success. We're paving the way for success in people's lives. We're talking about where people could have died. But their lives have been spared because we've touched heaven. Amen. Be a part of it. Don't get to the, to the point where to the place where you think, well, because we're not having the Word being taught that this is not going to be anything exciting. Oh, I'll tell you what. You come and be a part of it and throw your whole heart into it. You'll be a part of what God is doing here at Christian Assembly and also a part of what He's doing in our community and reaching out to other people. Amen. This is how things happen. This is how we get results. Amen? Amen. And so, once again, I'm just saying that because I really believe that this is one way we can really experience the greater things of God. Amen. Amen. And if we can do it on a different day, that'd be great. But we've not had any success in having a different day set aside because of everybody's work schedule and all that. But you know what? Tell other people, get excited about prayer. Get enthused about prayer. Be a part of a prayer church, a praying church, a prayer team at church. Get excited because it'll do your heart good. It'll do your family good. It'll do your personal life good also. I believe that with all my heart. And so being serious with regard to prayer. Also, Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, that's number two. It's the study of God's Word. It's also being more serious in prayer. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, men ought always to pray and faint not. Well, what happens if you're in a long distance race and you begin to go faint or get faint? What happens to you? It's going to be hard to finish that course, isn't it? It's going to be difficult to get to the finish line, is it not? Well, you see, what prayer does, it energizes us. It really does. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Praise God. And can you imagine when we all gather together and pray, how much strength is renewed among us individually and also collectively as a church body? I'll tell you what, you can get tremendous results when God's people get together and pray. There's no question about it. 
And so, let's become more serious with regard to prayer. And what about this one? Being more serious about the move of God's Spirit among us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you're close by. Look at that verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, the Bible says, Quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. And what that means is we are to be open to the moving of the Spirit of God within our midst. And beloved, I believe that through corporate prayer, we promote the activity of God's Spirit among us. I believe that with all of my heart. You know, sometimes what we did was we just slipped right on over into the prayer of worship and praise. And I'll tell you what, we've had tremendous happenings and results, you know, in doing so. And so I cannot emphasize it enough, beloved, if we are to experience the greater workings of God within our midst as a body of believers, we must become more serious in the study of God's Word, in praying as a body of believers together, and also in promoting the move of God's Spirit. Not quenching the Spirit of God, but promoting the move of God's Spirit among us by giving ourselves over to times and seasons of waiting upon the Lord and being reverent. In our services, when we meet together, knowing that God indeed desires to move by His Spirit in various ways. In gifts of the Spirit, in manifestations of the Spirit. Amen. And you see, this will help us stay on the right course. And another thing I believe that is so important, and I'm not saying that we don't do this already, but it's just a reminder. How many of you know we all need to be reminded over and over again about the things of God? It's important that we are more serious and reverent as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a body of believers. Don't you believe that to be true? You know what the Bible says, that if we don't celebrate properly, what happens? Weakness, sickness, and premature death. But if we do with reverence and seriousness of heart, what does it promote? Strength, health, and longevity of life, doesn't it? And don't you want that in your life? You know, we can create that atmosphere right here. Right here where we live. This isn't for somebody just down the street or over in Oklahoma somewhere or in another land where God is moving by His Spirit. Brother, it's for everybody and whosoever will. Isn't that true? We can promote it right here among us. Right here where we live in our own backyard. Praise God. We can have the best that God has provided for the body of Christ right here. Do you believe that? We don't have to go off somewhere else to get it. We can have it right here. But we must promote it among ourselves. Isn't that true? And what better way to do it? Study God's Word together. Praise God. Pray together. And wait upon the Spirit of God to move upon us and among us. And believe He'll manifest Himself in a glorious way. And we'll have it. And celebrate the Lord's Supper together and get everything we possibly can out of that glorious celebration and commemoration of our Lord's death and burial and resurrection and ascension. Okay, secondly, how else can we promote our spiritual progress and prevent the hindrances and obstacles from overcoming us? You ready for this one? Being more disciplined. Oh boy, that word, discipline. We love to hear that word, don't we? It's music to our ears, isn't it? Being more disciplined in certain areas of our Christian lives. Philippians chapter 4, if you would please. In verse 8, in the first area of discipline that is so important because the enemy just uses this area of our lives to, to, to just batter us. 
and hold us in bondage is the area of our thought lives. Isn't that true? You know, you can think something is a certain way and it's really not. Oh, we've had more problems in life because of thinking wrong and thinking that things are a certain way when they're really not. Haven't you had problems with relationships and friendships because you thought this or you thought that and it ended up that it wasn't that way at all? Our thinking process is important to our Christian experience. We've got to be more disciplined when it comes to our thought lives. Look at Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We all must discipline ourselves in this area because what we dwell on or what we think about, we become. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What we feed on in our thought lives is what we finally carry out. And it's finally what we become in life. And the area of the mind is the battleground. That's the area that the enemy will attack. Attack us in mind. I'll tell you what. You may think that people think all these terrible things about you when in reality they don't. You ever been there? You ever have a mark on your face? Let's, let's put it where you can understand. You ever have a mark on your face and you think everybody in the room is looking at it? You ever been there? They got the telescopes out. Focusing it. There it is. My goodness, you just walked in the room. But in your own little world, in your own world of your mind, you think everybody there is looking at you. We've all been there before. And you're embarrassed before you ever get there. You think people think certain things about you, but in reality they don't. See, what is, what is happening? The enemy is using our insecurity to hold us captive. Isn't that true? And if we're not careful, we'll give place to it. Beloved, we cannot stop people from knocking on our door. But you know what? You can control who you invite in and entertain. Isn't that true? If you don't want them in, tell them I'm sorry, but well, I'm not going to entertain you today. That's all there is to it. And the same thing is true with regard to thoughts. We can't stop thoughts from knocking upon the door of our minds. But we can control which ones we allow to come on in and entertain. We don't have to entertain those kinds of thoughts that are detrimental to our spiritual progress, growth, and development. And in particular, not just about ourselves, but what we think about other people. You know, you start off as a Christian. When I was first born again, I thought trees looked more beautiful, flowers smelled more beautiful. I thought people looked absolutely marvelous. I saw people in a brand new light. You know, once you're born again for 15 years, you may have a tendency to think that, well, they didn't look as good as I thought they did. You ever been there? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> because of all kinds of things that took place. Well, it's just time to remind ourselves, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are we doing? We're allowing ourselves to think improperly, see? And we can't do that. We should not do that. Let's get back on the right course. Let's get back on the right path and start thinking properly. What things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report? If there be any virtue and praise, 
think on these things. Feed your mind upon those things because those are the things that will promote your growth and development and success and obedience as a Christian. And the things that are contrary to that, we are not to allow in to entertain. We are to shut the door and say, no, I refuse to entertain you. Now, we've got to be disciplined in that area of our lives. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? It means to be a disciplined one. Well, disciplined in what areas of life? In our thought lines. You see, a vital part of our Christian experience is what? Casting down thoughts and imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. And if we've slipped in that area of our lives, there's no condemnation. Amen? Amen. There's no condemnation. Thank God He's made provisions for us to get back under the blood of Jesus Christ and put all that out from our lives and just say, you know what? I'm going to start thinking in line with love once again. And regardless of how the enemy has caused me to view people, I'm going to start seeing them through the eyes of love and compassion. And you know what? It'll be like you've been born again again. I mean that. It will. It'll do something for you. It'll change you. Start thinking on proper things. Start thinking on things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, and it will cause you to be affected in a positive way in life. Amen. Also, discipline in developing proper habits. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. How many of you know it takes discipline in order to develop habits in life? Let me put it this way. To develop good habits in life. Developing bad habits come a lot easier. Wouldn't you say? Well, why is that, you say? Well, because the flesh, in its fallen state, lines up very easily to those things that are wrong and bad. The flesh is enticed by all those things. And it's natural by the fallen nature of man to fall victim to those things because from our heart, that's the way we used to live at one time. When it comes to breaking bad habits and establishing new habits, it takes discipline. I remember one preacher saying one time, he tried to develop the prayer habit. How many know that prayer is a good habit to develop? How many know it's not easy to develop the habit of prayer? And so he said what he did, he tried to get up early in the morning only to find himself falling asleep on his Bible or in the middle of prayer, waking up, finding out where he left off and continuing on that prayer. And so one day he just got up and just started at 5 o'clock in the morning standing on the edge of his bathtub. He figured if he fell asleep, he'd fall off. <laughs> but he kept doing that until finally he got to a place that he developed the prayer habit. It takes discipline, beloved, and we know that. It takes discipline on our part to develop the study habit, the prayer habit, the waiting on God habit, the walking in love habit. Do you ever notice that takes discipline? It takes a lot of discipline, doesn't it? We haven't got down to the tongue yet, have we? Does that take discipline to control that tongue? You know that it does. But it takes discipline to develop proper habits. This I say, this is verse 16, Galatians 5. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What a simple statement, Paul. Easily said. Difficult to do. Walk in the Spirit. 
You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It takes discipline to walk in the Spirit. Because to walk in the Spirit means we have got to put down the lusts of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. And in some cases, the mandates of the flesh. The flesh is very demanding. How many of you know that? Absolutely. It wants to rule. It wants to dictate. It wants to take over our lives. It's too cold to go to church. Keep me warm. (laughs) Isn't that true? It wants to be in its own little environment. It wants to do its own thing. See? I'm too tired to pray. It takes discipline on our part. And if we're not careful, we can become spiritually lethargic. We can become lazy when it comes to spiritual things and just give in under the pressure of the flesh. It takes discipline on our part to develop the kind of habits that will ensure our success and progress as believers. Whether it's attending church, whether it's praying, walking in love, whatever the case may be, it takes discipline. And finally, also in life and conduct. And this is under the heading of number two, being more disciplined. We must be more disciplined in life and conduct. And look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I just want to touch this just a little bit. Or or 2 Thessalonians. No, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 1. Also in life and conduct. And this is closely related to, to part B here. We are living in an undisciplined age. Wouldn't you agree? In an age where everything goes. It doesn't matter. It goes. So therefore, surrounded by all this, we've got to be disciplined in life and conduct to develop the right kind of habits that God would have us develop, behavior patterns, etc. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good authority, wouldn't you say? That as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. See, we're talking about promoting this growth, this development, this activity of God among us and in us and through us. And here we have explained to us a way we can do that. If we'll just develop in walking in the things of God as we received them in the beginning, then we'll please Him more and more and we'll abound more and more in the things of God. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Now, right there we have a statement outlining the will of God for our lives. This is what? The will of God. Even your sanctification. How many of you know it takes discipline to live a sanctified life? Absolutely, it takes discipline. Every person involved in athletics will agree... It takes discipline to maintain that level of ability. You know, a perfect example, you see somebody losing the heavyweight championship of the world because he wasn't disciplined enough before the fight to be in tip-top shape. And it's, it's true in every athletic event, and all fields of athletics, that if you don't lead a disciplined life on a continuous basis, you will regress. And unless you put forth the effort to get back where you were, you will not prevail as you once did. And the same thing is true spiritually, isn't it, beloved? 
If we don't put forth the same effort to be disciplined enough to be sanctified and, and live the kind of life and, and demonstrate the kind of conduct that God wants us to, we will regress. Look what it says. That you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now, he's talking about the fact that we, as believers, must discipline ourselves in all phases and all areas of life, including this area here of, of fornication or sexual misconduct. And as I said, we are living in an undisciplined age, and if we're not careful, we can be snared by the spirit of the world. How many of you know that? That's an easy thing to have happen to anyone in life. But we are to be disciplined enough in life and it'll be enough in life to live by the rule and the Word of God so that we can possess ourselves as God would have us to possess ourselves in all areas of life, especially in this area of our, our conduct. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I know this may be a narrow-minded view, but straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Isn't that true? Look at chapter 7 and verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now I know in society today, all that's frowned upon and looked down upon. You know, we're living in the 90s. But notice verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, to avoid fornication... Let every man pray that God will take away his sexual desires. Well, let me read this again. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. To avoid. Can you see that word avoid there? See, God knows how He made us. He knows our frame. He knows the desires that are healthy and wholesome that He placed within us. And here He says we are to lead pure and chaste lives before Him. But He realizes that all these desires and needs have got to be met. Fornication is to be avoided. Why? Because we know that fornicators will not enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that true? So to avoid it, it doesn't say pray to God to take away those desires. It says, let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband, and let the husband render to the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife doesn't have power over her body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband doesn't have power over his own body, but the wife, and defraud ye not one another, except to be with consent for a time, that you may give yourself the fasting and prayer, and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency or inability to control your bodily functions. So you will see here that the Word of God addresses this issue plainly, directly. And so it's important to know that if we're caught up in this kind of sexual immorality, it will definitely hinder our spiritual progress and development. Will it not? Without a doubt it'll have an adverse effect upon the things we want to do for God. And so here's a way he's 
revealed to us in the scriptures that we can avoid that kind of impurity. Get married and then see to it that you don't defraud one another. And as I said, you know, that may be narrow-minded in our society today, but I'd rather be narrow-minded and make heaven than open-minded and make hell. What about you? The world doesn't see it that way, but we don't live by the standards of the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, what are we saying to those young people that are out there who say, well, you know what, I'm burning with lust or whatever, then it's time to recognize your need to settle down and find that mate and serve God together. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, third. We need to be more motivated. I want to say that this way. We need to be more self-motivated. How many of you know that David encouraged himself in the Lord. You're close by the look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. Paul said in verse 27, but my prayer team helps me keep under my body. Oh, he didn't say that, did he? He said, but I keep under my body. I and my. I keep under my body. We need to be more self-motivated because the flesh wants to dominate us and keep us spiritually lazy and lethargic. It wants to dominate our spirits, but we are to crucify the flesh. We are to deny ourselves and cut off that which offends or prevents our spiritual progress, are we not? Didn't Jesus say that in Matthew 5, that whatever offends you, cut it off? Whatever prevents you, cut it off? Absolutely. Paul says here, look, I've got to keep under my body. I've got to bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He saw the need to be self-motivated when it came to keeping under his flesh and preventing it from ruling his life. And you take that back to athletics and you'll find the same thing to be true. I mean, it's wonderful to have a partner when it comes to exercising and that sort of thing. But you know what? If you're not self-motivated, you're never going to stay with it. Because sometimes it's hard to find a partner. And you can't blame it on somebody else that you didn't exercise or keep yourself in good physical conditioning. We've got to be self-motivated. And you know what? That's even more true in the spiritual sense. You realize that? When David found himself in bad times, times when it seemed like he was going to be overcome and completely destroyed, he said, I encourage myself in the Lord my God. I thank God for words of encouragement from other people. I mean, that's wonderful and it's extremely helpful and we should promote that always among us. But you know what? It's so important to be self-motivated in the things of God. Do you know that? To encourage ourselves in the Lord. Look at 1 Samuel. As a matter of fact, since we're talking about that, In chapter 30, and verse 6. In times of great distress, in times when it seems like everybody is against us, in times of all kinds of trouble and adversity, it is important to be self-motivated in the Lord. In verse 6, 1 Samuel 30, David was not just distressed, but greatly distressed. 
for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved or embittered against him. Every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. In order for us to be successful, we have got to be self-motivated. We've got to encourage ourselves in the Lord, even times of great distress and perplexity. We've got to say, no, it's worth going on. Just like David, likewise, we have got to be self-motivated to, to, let's say, cut off distress. Let's say to cut off those things that would hinder us and be obstacles. And please, do not receive any guilt or condemnation when I say this, beloved. But remember, the time is short, we said. Jesus is coming soon. We've got to do something to promote our own growth and development, don't we? If it, if it means to, to cut off the tobacco habit, it, it may be that you, you have know, been toying with that thing for a long time. You've got to get self-motivated. Self. Others have encouraged you. They've tried to be a, a help to you, to assist you. You've got to be self-motivated to cut it off. Paul says, I keep under my body. He said, if your eye offends you, cut it off. If your hand offends you or prevents you, cut it off. If this habit is, is uh, offending you or if it is preventing your growth and progress, cut it off. Be self-motivated. You might say, but I'm waiting for God to do something. No, no. Be self-motivated. God knows the heart. Let him know that you want to cut it off. If it's alcohol, if it's gossip, if it's gambling, whatever it is, if it's that sexual immorality, whatever the case may be, whatever it is, we have got to be self-motivated enough to cut it off. What prevents that person from being in that conditioning that shape to perform his best, causing him to lose that title that he so coveted and, and esteemed in his life. Maybe with snicker bars, I don't know. Just loved to eat those sweets. And just went on a binge. You ever notice that some of these boxers do that? When they're ready for a fight, I mean, it takes them a long time to get back in shape because during the off time, they, just, they were on one big pig out. I mean, just putting everything in it possibly could. You know, that's really not a disciplined life, is it? Didn't they have to get to cut it off if they wanted to get in shape? I mean, there's no question about it. You can go on all kinds of programs and all this stuff, but the only thing you've got to learn to do is to cut it off, cut it out. Now we're talking about excess and extremism. We're not talking about moderation here, you know. And so that person has got to be self-motivated. And really, when you're talking about a boxing match or something like that, you don't have a team. Do you know what I mean? When they go for someone, that target is you. No one else. You're by yourself out there. And if you're not self-motivated to get yourself in tip-top shape, you may get knocked out. And we can see that's true in the spiritual realm. If we're not in shape spiritually, it's because we lack self-motivation. We're not encouraging ourselves enough in the Lord to stay in the Word, to stay in prayer, to stay with the move of the Spirit, to crucify the flesh like, like we should. If we'll do that, beloved, then praise God, all the words of encouragement we get from other people will just be an aid. It will assist us. But primarily, 
will be self-motivated and self-encouraged in the Word of God, in the Lord and the things of God, and will lead an overcoming life. Amen? And if it means cutting off all these different things, whatever they may be, what hinders your growth? Is it the misuse of the tongue? How many of you know misuse of the tongue can interfere with your growth and development? It really can. I mean, really, in a big way, it really can. Well, I see we don't have time for the last two, four and five, and so we'll give those next time we meet. Uh, we'll pick it up there. But the whole thing, the whole idea, beloved, is for us to, to really just, let's say, examine our own spiritual lives, our own conditioning. Find out where we're at in God. Recognize that Jesus is coming soon. Get on the right path. Get on the right course and, and get to a place where we are abounding in the things of God like never before. Growing by leaps and bounds and promoting the spiritual progress among us and, and just being pleasing in the sight of the Lord our God. Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.